You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here of the village. Thanks for being here with us today. Uh, It's good to see you all. If you would, I know that we just prayed, but would you join me again in prayer as we uh, begin to open up God's word and see what he might stir up in us this morning? Uh, Father, thank you for today. Thanks for this gathering. Uh, Thanks for these men and these women and these kids who have all gathered here. You've brought us here. You've guided us here. Uh, today for one reason or another. And so uh, this morning, um, like we sang earlier, whether we are um, suffering or whether we are wandering or lost, uh, whether we are wondering in our minds, uh, maybe we're showing up with conviction in our hearts. Maybe we are showing up today already full of thanksgiving and gratitude, whatever it is. Father, would you let us behold you as Messiah And as Emmanuel, uh, this particular season, we get to see how you meet us wherever we happen to be, and you don't simply leave us there, but you guide us home. And so, Father, would you do that with us today in a small sliver by the power of your spirit and the goodness of the gospel of Jesus, because you're a good dad, Uh, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. At uh, 8.28 a.m. on December 18th, 1965, Frank Borman and Jim Lovell cooped up in a little metal cone that was about 11 feet tall, uh, started crossing things off of checklists and flipping switches, and I assume probably buckling their seatbelts as they began the 30-ish minute process of basically falling back down to earth. After two weeks of spinning around up in outer space around the planet 206 times, it's the longest manned mission in space to date. That was Gemini 7. Now, that's probably terrifying, at least if you're a sane person, uh, no matter what, but NASA had only been around for like seven years. They were still figuring stuff out at that point. Uh, People in space was still kind of a new thing. One of Gemini 7's missions uh, was to see if people could live in space for 14 days by sending people to space for 14 days, right? Hope it works out okay. Uh, On top of that, shortly before they were supposed to actually return back home, uh, thrusters were malfunctioning. Fuel cells were only pumping out like a fraction of the juice they were supposed to. And so they're hurtling uh, back towards the ocean from space. It's never, ever risk-free. But when the check engine light comes on, right, you might get a little nervous. Uh, You might start sweating a little bit more. But Frank and Jim, uh, after they'd fastened their seatbelts, they began letting gravity uh, and 1960s technology do their job of bringing them back home. And to help calm their nerves, ground control played some in-flight music into their headsets, a song that Frank and Jim had requested to hear on their journey back. And so as they were burning through the atmosphere, uh, not quite sure what would happen, the soundtrack of their re-entry on December 18th, 1965, was Bing Crosby's I'll Be Home for Christmas. A song that was recorded in wartime for soldiers separated by, uh, from their families by oceans and by front lines uh, in wartime during the holidays. That was now being played for astronauts separated from their families by uh, the vacuum of space. All right, it's a, and it's a song that for a lot of us, when we hear it, it reminds us of who we've been separated from and, and what we've been separated by, and not just during the holidays, 
but maybe uh, just in this life. And it's a classic because it, it captures uh, not just our longing to be home, not just like in a certain place, but with certain people. And it is a classic because it honestly confesses our limitations. Even though we might say that I'll be home for Christmas, you can count on me. We can really mean that and we can really want that to be true, but it might only be in our dreams. Someone once said that war turns promises into hopes. And war does that. Space does that. Sin and evil and death and suffering, all those things do that too. And it shapes our songs. The series that we're in during the season of Advent is a series about songs. We're preaching through lyrics from a giant book of songs in the Bible called uh, the Psalms. And there are lots of kinds of songs. There are songs uh, about royalty. There are songs about uh, traveling on your way back to the temple. Songs of praise and lament and confession. And there are songs of thanksgiving, which happen to be the genre that we are preaching through uh, through these last few weeks of the year. And today's psalm, which is Psalm 107, it starts like this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Today's song is a song about a God who has scooped his people up from the four corners of the world and has brought them back home together. They get to be home for Christmas. They get to be not just in their dreams, but, but physically together at home for Christmas. Uh, this song is sung by those who have been brought home. So they get to sing with full and with grateful hearts because of what God has already done and for who God has always been. And yet some of us, we might look around at the holidays or maybe the 11 uh, other months of the year and we see old photos and we see empty chairs and we see unfulfilled expectations or broken traditions and we wish that our hearts could sing the same song the same way. But Bing Crosby's tune of longing and lament might actually hit home a little more for us. And so this morning we get to, to wonder together how we might join the singers of Psalm 107. Is there a way for us to sing with full and grateful hearts? Even though we live in a troubled world and our hearts cry out and we're feeling the effects of the curse that this world is under, maybe even especially during the holidays. Can we give thanks even though we are not yet home for good? So our, our main idea this morning is that God guides us through places of distress to a home forever blessed. And here's our plan of attack for the day. This psalm is very long, uh, but if there are any words that we should make room for uh, this morning, they aren't mine, uh, they are the Lord's. And so what I wanna do um, is I want to read this whole psalm in just a minute, and we're not gonna go through it this morning chunk by chunk. Uh, we're gonna actually kind of slice it and then look at some of the, the big layers that kind of span across the whole psalm. That's how we're gonna tackle this today. So if you will, we're gonna read this whole psalm together, Psalm 107. So if you've got a Bible, uh, feel free to open it up. It will be on the screens as well. If you don't have a Bible, there are some on the connect desk or under the connect desk. Grab one, sit down, make yourself cozy. We're going to read this whole thing together. So join me. This is Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way for, to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways. And because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise... Let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Psalm 107. Here's our first slice this morning, is that God can guide us home through a troubled world. Like Taylor Swift without boyfriends, this psalm wouldn't exist without trouble. Uh, the me Hey, I listened to Taylor Swift, where I wrote most of this, so I'm not digging at Taylor Swift, all right? Uh, Mabel knows it. Uh, the, the meat of this song 
is made up of four little vignettes, uh, four stories of four different groups of people who find themselves in four different kinds of trouble. And the Lord shows up four different times to rescue each of them from the four corners of the world, north, south, east, and west. And those little vignettes are bookended at the beginning and at the end of the psalm with calls to consider the never-ending love of God that goes to work for the good of his people. To think about it, uh, to, to delight in it, to praise him for it, and not just on Sunday mornings in the congregation of the people, but in the assembly of the elders, right? When the elders hang out at Buffalo Wings and Rings once a month, like that's what we get to do. When, when team leads or uh, when we have finance meetings, or that's what we get to do. We get to rejoice in the Lord for our group gatherings. That's what we get to do. Whenever and however the church hangs out, we get to thank God for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works for the children of man. And a lot of the things that we get to be thankful for are often tied in some way to trouble, right? And case in point, every Christmas movie ever, Every Christmas movie ever, A Charlie Brown Christmas, uh, Christmas Vacation Elf, The Santa Claus, every Hallmark Christmas movie, like Santa is always in trouble in some way. People lost their Christmas spirit. The lights won't turn on. Cousin Eddie kidnapped your boss. Uh, or you just happen to ruin a scrawny Christmas tree that basically looks like a twig by putting a giant red bulb on the highest branch of this tiny little thing, and so you killed it, right? I don't know what Charlie Brown was thinking when he was decorating that tree. Uh, and yet all of those movies end huddled around singing Christmas carols or the Star-Spangled Banner, right? And, and the cause for celebration wouldn't have been there had it not been for the trouble of the last 90 minutes. To be clear, no one sings at the end because Charlie Brown killed a Christmas tree. That's not why they sang. No one sang because Clark Griswold's bonus was the Jelly of the Month Club instead of his normal, usual check. They weren't singing because of the trouble. They were singing because help came along. Either a new perspective or a rescue of some kind or deeper relationships, the theft of Christmas decorations from your beagle's doghouse to make your scrawny tree look better, right? That's a thing. Uh, we don't give thanks to God for trouble. We give thanks to God for not ditching us while we're in it, but for staying with us, sustaining us, getting us through it, and ultimately getting us home. Now, there's a lot to be thankful for that is not tied to trouble. Right, we don't need bad things in order to have good things to give thanks for. God's good to us in all the things, right? But, but that's not the focus of today's song. The focus of today's song is giving thanks to a God who does help us when things don't go according to plan. Because if we're honest, it is in the midst of those times that we have the hardest time remembering that we still can be thankful remembering what we already have and what we will always have and, and who already and will always have us. Not turning a blind eye to the genuine trouble around us, right? God is not asking us to turn a blind eye to how hard situations can be. So we don't have to, to do that. The psalm actually makes us look at how hard stuff can be. So we don't have to turn a blind eye to our troubles, but we can also learn to refuse to turn a blind eye to the goodness of God that doesn't stop when things get hard. But just because all of the who's down in Whoville make it seem easy to sing when your whole life has been ransacked, right? That doesn't mean it's easy for the rest of us to do that. Psalm 107 exists because we need to be led along in a song that rewrites the way that we see trouble. 
We won't be satisfied by hopes that are only real in our dreams or good intentions that, that count on me or you. Our hearts need to sing a song of confident assurance that trouble doesn't win and that God doesn't lose and that's rooted in flesh and blood facts. And in Christ, that is exactly the song that we can sing. So there are three ways that we get to kind of look at how the psalm rewrites the way that we see trouble. And the first thing is, who is in trouble? Who is in trouble? This song is about people from the, the four corners of the earth, scattered across different countries and different cultures, all different kinds of people. Some are homeless and hungry, looking for something good, right, but unable to find it. Some are felons. They're, they've broken the law. They've paid the price, and some are on death row. Some are sick because of their own foolishness. They are not behind bars, but they've wrung their bodies out because of destructive decisions. They've even twisted their own appetites. They don't want what's good for them anymore. And some who were just going about their day, doing their job, and then natural disaster struck. These are all people in trouble, and they're all different in every way except for one, which is that the Lord delivered them and brought them home. Whoever wrote this song, they weren't pandering to a particular audience. It's not just about a, a guy who lost his dog and his wife and his Chevy, right? All in one day, right? That's not the song that was written. Or some girl who showed up to the wrong party and now she feels a little left out because all of her friends aren't there anymore. And it's not about the woes of spending most of our life living in a gangster's paradise. That's not this song. Whatever genre of human you think that you are, whatever radio station will play the song of your life, if you find yourself in trouble, then you're exactly the kind of person that God wants to gather up and guide home. God goes after sinners. God goes after sufferers. He goes after anyone who bears his image, no matter how scuffed up and scarred it might be. And good news is that everyone in this room is a sinner. Everyone in this room is a sufferer, and everyone in this room is an imperfect but image bearer of the Lord, and no one in this room is too much or too little or too different or too guilty or too foolish, too banged up for God to want to bring home. Number two, the psalm rewrites the way that we see what kind of trouble they're in. There's all kinds of trouble mentioned here, right? Some are, are entirely out of our control. There's simply a lack of good, right? Whether that's food and shelter or whether that's friends and family. The world has deserts, right? Literal physical deserts, but also patches of life in which the good that we might want or need or would expect, it just isn't there. We're just not seeing it, right? It's all dried up. There also is maybe an abundance of bad. Sometimes when you go to work on your big boat in the sea, it storms, right? You may have heard about the, the construction worker who died near uh, Meyer on the west side not too long ago, just doing his job. I think his machine was just driving along and it tipped, and he did not come home that night. Sometimes you go to work and you don't come back, and sometimes you're just minding your business at home, and, and you get a phone call, or you have to make a phone call. Something happens that's just out of your control. Calamity strikes. Sometimes we cause the trouble, and we live in the wake of it, whether that's justice served and, and we deserve it or whether that's just natural consequences of our actions, stuff that we should have known better than to do but that wrecks our bodies or our relationships or our finances, right? Substances for sure, like drugs, alcohol, whatever, but food, 
food, what we eat and how much we eat. Gluttony is a thing, right? Too many late night snacks or too many late night Amazon purchases. Staying up too late, getting up too late. Living off caffeine, doom scrolling all day, avoiding human interaction and not putting your hands to purposeful, creative, constructive things and wondering why we're all so anxious all the time. We don't live in a world without consequences. And yet, no consequence disqualifies us from God's help. Do you know that? You may feel like life has dug a hole too deep for you to get out of, or that you have dug a hole too deep for you to get out of, but that's not a sign that God hasn't helped you or, or has stopped helping you or won't ever help you again. This song is proof of that. These four little vignettes, they, they may not have been pulled straight from the newspaper, right? But, but look at the mess that God's people have gotten themselves into. Right, stuff that is written, not in the journal news, right, but in the Bible. And look at how gracious and faithful and powerful the Lord has been in every time and in every kind of trouble. And then look at us. The fact that any of us are here, myself included, it is a miracle, not because we've just been spared from trouble, although many of us have in ways that we don't know, but because God has stayed with us in the midst of our trouble, and he's never left, and he's kept us here. Even if you think he has left, he has not left you. No kind of trouble disqualifies you or distances you from the help of the Lord. And third, this psalm rewrites for us the way that we see how big trouble is. This psalm, Psalm 107, is trying to rewrite the way that we see trouble, but not by sweeping hard stuff under the rug or trivializing the bad stuff that's in your life, but by helping us see how much bigger the Lord is than any trouble that we might find or that we might make on our own. Anybody watch Kids in the Hall? It's the Canadian version of Saturday Night Live. Some of you are smirking. You didn't raise your hand, but I know that that's true, that you've seen it before. Uh, they have a skit called Head Crusher. You might know what this is. I don't know. It's, it's this guy who's hiding in the bushes, and he's watching people kind of go about their day, business people, uh, bike messengers, whatever. And he's, like, talking to himself, by himself, just making fun of what they're doing, what they might be thinking, saying, whatever. And, and then, like, at some point, he, like, holds his hand up to his face, and then he starts doing this. And he's like, I'm crushing your head. I'm crushing your head. That's what he does. It, it's stupid, but it's hilarious, and I know some of you have done it before. But, but he like does that as if he's bigger than everyone else and doing those things, and then someone up like comes up to him and is like, hey, what are you doing? And he's like, hey, just a moment, and he runs away from it and then starts doing this. I'm crushing your head. I'm crushing your head. That's, that is the skit. That's the skit. That's all it is, right? That's all it is. And look, I know it's really dumb. It is funny. Some of you are wanting to do that right now, but you're too embarrassed to do that. I see you, right? I know who you are. You can do it when you get in the car. Um, that's how this psalm wants us to think about trouble. Like, like it's some guy hiding in the bushes, pretending like it's big enough, and like the Lord is maybe actually small enough to crush us. When in reality, that is an illusion that, that is only convincing when you're looking at life from one very particular perspective. When it seems as if trouble is nearer to you than the Lord is. When in reality, the Lord is big enough and near enough to gather every kind of person from every corner of the earth through every kind of trouble, sin, suffering, evil, death, sickness, disaster, whether it's our fault or not, and to guide them all home. Psalm 107 puts this stuff in proper perspective. And look, some of our trouble is really big. 
It's not small. Some of our trouble is really big. Some trouble is hard to see your way through, right? Sin that you can't seem to shake. Sickness that you cannot heal. Satan that you can't see. Evil that you can't squash out. All that stuff is true. And the point in being real about how big trouble really is or really can be is to magnify actually how much bigger God is. That's the point of this psalm. How much bigger God is than any trouble that might come your way. And because of that, you're not lost in the midst of trouble. The Lord is present in it. And he actually can hear you when you call to him, which is our second slice this morning, is that God can guide us home when our hearts cry out. Imagine a probably four-year-old me, more likely in Oshkosh, Bagash, overalls at preschool. Thanks, Mom. Uh, on my birthday, passing out cupcakes to my classmates one at a time, probably wearing a party hat. Um, and as I'm handing out cupcakes, the teacher says, all right, everybody, it's, it's time to sing happy birthday uh, to Scotty. That's how you know if people know me from pre-high school, if they call me Scotty and not Scott. Uh, and so the kids start singing, and I start sobbing. I'm having a breakdown in the middle of the happy birthday song. And everybody's like, what is what is happening right now? And eventually I was able to squeak out that I was crying uh, because we started singing happy birthday before I had finished passing out all the cupcakes. They had crossed a line. There's a VHS tape of this somewhere that will never see the light of day. Um, and I hadn't thought about it for a long time, but this past week when I remembered, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense for the rest of my life uh, in a lot of ways. What a ridiculous thing, reflecting back as a 38-year-old to cry about, and yet as a four-year-old, like, what else is a bigger deal than, than my preschool birthday party and the way I wanted it to go? Like, ironically, which was threatened by singing the happy birthday song. Um, look, it, it doesn't have to make any sense, but it, it just gets to be a reflection of what mattered to me most in the moment. What we cry about, what we cry out for, who we cry out to, there are few more raw pictures of the biggest things occupying a person's heart than what we are willing to shed tears over or to ask help with, right? To send an SOS out for. <clears throat> I know that's true for some of you. <clears throat> some of you, you would rather go through hell and back and just let the first time that you let anyone know about that be when you get back and say, hey, I made it okay. That is some of you all, right? And that's not good. And it just proves the point, right? That there is something profoundly revealing that comes with crying out for help. It makes us seen. It makes us vulnerable and dependent on someone or something. <clears throat> and in Psalm 107, that is exactly the situation of the people that we read about. They are vulnerable, right? They are dependent on someone coming to their rescue. They want to be seen by someone who can do the rescuing. These two lines are repeated four times in this psalm. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Four times we hear that. And these lines are sang over and over and over again, telling us that crying out to the Lord is part of the Christian life. Crying out to God is part of the Christian life. It is a necessary part. It's a good part of the Christian life. And not just in times of our most dire crises or whatever. It is how our Christian life begins, crying out in despair of our sin and belief in the gospel that saves us from sin. It is how our Christian life is sustained, walking through life in dependence on the Lord in his strength. And it's how our Christian life actually ends, crying out to the Lord like Jesus when our body is done for now. 
commending our spirit into the Father's hands when we go home to be with the Lord. Crying out to God is part of the Christian life. And so, listen, I just want to make two observations, just some basic stuff from the text about crying out and the Christian life and how God uh, can use that to actually guide us home. The first thing is this, that we get to cry out in our trouble. God doesn't shame anyone for crying out to him. He doesn't tell anyone that they've dug their own grave and so now they have to lie in it. The gospel is literally the opposite of that. We dig our own grave and Jesus laid in it. That's the gospel. We don't cry to the Lord after our trouble. We get to cry to him in it. And the gospel that anchors our life in God's family is the biggest reminder that we have of that. We're not the hero of our stories. But some of us stop ourselves from praying to the Lord or, or asking for prayer from other people, pastors, groups, friends, whatever, and we tell ourselves that we're being humble. We don't want to trouble the Lord or trouble the church by bringing our troubles to them. We, we should figure our own stuff out. We should find the fix, put all the pieces together, and then, and then we can come and really just kind of ask for everyone's blessing, right? See, we've got it all taken care of. You should just show up with things to give thanks for, right, and prayers of praise because that's what good American Christians do. We win, right? We show up with our wins. But that's not humility. That is pride, and that's not going to make people grateful. It'll, it'll probably tick them off like or hurt their feelings. Like, why didn't you tell us? Like, why didn't you not come to us? Oh, oh, because you thought you were supposed to calm the wind and the waves. I got it. You thought you could burst your own bonds apart and spring you from prison. Ah, you thought you were supposed to know what's best for you, even though you loathe any kind of food that would actually be good for you. I see. No, the... The humble thing is crying out in our trouble. And we know it's the humble thing because it is the humbling thing to confess that we don't know and that we need help. We can't figure it out. And we might not like that, but the trouble that we're in is the trouble that we get to bring God and his people into. And it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't have to be a red alert like five alarm, super massive crises, all hands on deck emergency for you to cry out to the Lord. The examples in this Psalm, they are extreme, right? Not because those are the only kinds of trouble that God responds to, but to show that if God can handle these things, then he can handle the small stuff too, right? God is not comparing the crises of the people in this Psalm and he's not comparing your trouble to theirs either. Like cry about cupcakes if you want to. I did, right? Cry about the diagnosis. Cry about the job loss. Cry about the loss of a relationship that, that fell away. You get to cry about all those things, and we get to do that together. The song that we're preaching from wasn't sung by people by themselves in their car with the windows rolled up, all right? It was sung in community when the church was gathered together. People celebrating and rejoicing and how God swooped in, not just to help themselves, but to help other people that they were gathered with in all kinds of trouble, big and little. And in between, the people of God isn't a place where we should go and then size people up, rank their troubles, and then decide whose requests are worth hearing because God himself doesn't do that. That's not what he does. And so the next time you don't think that your prayer request uh, isn't important enough to share because the last guy's prayer request literally was a country song, right? Don't do that. If you do, you're actually robbing 
people not only of the opportunity to, to pray with you and bear your burden, but then to give as much thanks when the Lord does show up to help you. Second thing is this, that we get to see, that we get to cry out to the Lord. Some of you might be crying out, and you don't even know that that's what you're doing. Cutting the tags off another new sweater, hoping that when you put it on, like, ah, you'll finally feel like a new person this time. Wading to the bottom of a, a bottle of wild turkey looking for a little relief. Sharing uh, way more of your life online, like spending a lot more time curating some digital persona of yourself as a way to cushion or maybe even replace like any real conversations or concerns or whatever in your real life, perpetually filling up your life and your schedule with things to do, people to help, uh, unable to not pick up every ball that's being dropped, bringing home your laptop from work every single night and opening it and working on it. These are ways that your heart might be crying out, screaming into things that will never answer back with what you want to hear or give you what you really need or lead to any kind of lasting life. And some of you might know that that's what you're doing. Some of you probably don't, and some of you might. You know that you need help, but instead of getting real help, you are refusing it. You've got cancer and you're, you're popping ibuprofen. And that's okay, you can do that. And, and you will do that either until it takes you under or until you decide that what you're doing is failing you and that who or what you're calling to can't hear you and can't help you. Listen to the words about this psalm from Charles Spurgeon. This quote will be up on the screens. This is what he says. They are hard pressed. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Why did they not do so before? Because people don't begin to pray in God or pray to God as long as they have any hope. Some men will never pray till they are half starved. And for their best interest, it's far better for them to be empty and faint than to be full and stout hearted. If hunger brings us to our knees, it's more useful to us than feasting. If thirst drives us to the fountain, it's better than the deepest thoughts or droughts of uh, worldly joys. And if fainting leads to crying, it is better than the strength of the mighty. The cry must have been very feeble, for they were faint. And their faith was as weak as their cry, but yet they were heard and heard at once. A little delay would have been their death, but there was none, for the Lord was ready to save them. The Lord delights to come in when no one else can be of the slightest avail. Nothing is too loud around you, and you are never not loud enough for the Lord to hear your cry. You get to cry out to the Lord with whatever words you can squeak out about whatever the thing is that's occupying your heart. You get to let yourself be vulnerable with the one who will be gentle towards you. Even if it means being confronted with hard truths and the hopelessness of whatever you've been putting your hope in, like whatever grave that you may have dug for yourself, the Lord doesn't skirt the truth. He doesn't skirt the truth in that, but he also doesn't skimp on grace. Jesus' death on the cross gets to remind us of that. You get to let yourself be seen and heard not because you say the right words, shout loud enough, tell enough people, pray long enough, not because your story uh, is louder or more compelling than the person next to you, but because God has eyes to see and ears to hear each and every single one of his people, even to decipher your sobs that make no sense whatsoever. And you get, you get to humble yourself and make yourself dependent on him, the one who can 
answer back and love you back and has already proven that he won't just pick you up off the ground, he will lift you up out of the grave one day and he will get you back home. This is the third slice for this morning, that God guides us home where the curse is reversed. On December 18th, 1965, Ground Control broadcast Bing Crosby's I'll Be, Home to Christmas, I'll Be Home for Christmas to Frank Borman and Jim Lovell as they fell through the sky towards the ocean in a titanium triangle, basically. Uh, when the tape had finished playing in Houston, Houston radioed them back and, and asked if they enjoyed it. Do you like the song? And Frank and Jim were like, that was the song? It sounded like an air raid siren. Like it's static, noise, whatever. It just did not come through the way that they had anticipated. It just sounded like a loud, high-pitched tone. And Houston was all apologetic. Hey, we could try to play it again or whatever. Uh, and I forget which one said it. It was either Frank or Jim. Uh, but one of them said, that's all right. We just sang it ourselves. And I got a better voice than Bing Crosby anyway. So if you can imagine, two full-grown men, right, hurtling through the atmosphere, now with a siren yelling at them, like, through their headsets, singing, I'll be home for Christmas, out loud to themselves as they wait to splash down in the Atlantic. And that's if things go according to plan. This, for some of us, is a metaphor for life. You feel like you're hurtling through the sky, singing to yourself while you hear loud screeching in your ears. And for the Christian, man, it is a picture of, in some ways, what it looks like to follow Jesus. Right now, we are stuck in a place that, for the moment, is not our home. It's going somewhere. We're going somewhere. But none of this is in our control. And it's filled with uncertainty and has no lack of trouble. And all this is in a world that isn't going to to play us songs, right, of a sure hope to get us through. The world is not going to play those songs for us. We have to know those songs. We have to love them. We have to sing them for ourselves and to one another while we wait for God to bring us home. That's why songs like Psalm 107 and, and all the psalms of thanksgiving are so important. Like the home that Bing Crosby sings about, the home God's guiding us to isn't just a place. It might have uh, snow and mistletoe and presents on the tree in your imagination, or it might not, but it'll be a place. The whole world, right? Heaven and earth will be remastered, restored, renewed, reconciled, brought together into one place in all of its glory, and we're going to live there Right? Not floating around the clouds like little naked Cupid babies with harps or angels with wings in the clouds or whatever, but as humans, body and soul with toes in the grass or toes in the sand or toes in the snow if you're a weirdo and want that. All right, If that's your thing, that's fine. And we will flesh and blood be at home, not in hospitals, not in cemeteries, not in the courts or in the shelters or the unemployment line. We will be at home and not alone. Our home's not just a place. Bing Crosby was a person singing to another person or family or friends. I don't think he was wanting to come home to an empty house, but a full one. And when we make it home, his new creation will be filled with the presence of God and his people. People that we love. People that we miss. People that might surprise us that they're there, right? And there will be no more goodbyes or come home safe or safe travels or whatever. We will just be there, right? No more one-way flights to things or empty chairs, just reunions. This is where the good news of the gospel leads us. This is where it's pointing. It doesn't stop at the cross where Jesus paid for sin, 
right? Or the resurrection where Jesus defeated death or the ascension where Jesus takes the throne over every other power on earth. And it didn't stop at your conversion either when you believed it for the first time and were forgiven and given eternal life. The gospel keeps going and it doesn't stop until it gets us home. The gospel points us home through every trouble, every time we cry out, and it won't stop until it gets us there where every upside down thing is turned right side up. And that's the point of this last slice and really is the last chunk, verses 33 through 42, the last big chunk of the psalm. After we hear about God stepping into these four different stories of four different kinds of people, he doesn't just stop at bringing some of his people home. We hear example after example of how God can and has and will take everything that's been troubled in this world and turn it on its head. He serves justice to the unjust, mercy to the oppressed. He brings relief to the hungry. He makes the wicked shut up and he lets the the righteous rejoice on the streets. He reverses the curse of this world brought on by sin and Satan that's led to all the death and all the disaster and all, all the disorder of the world that we live in. And God turns this troubled world into a home that'll be forever blessed. And we aren't there yet. But four times, as many times as this song repeats, that God's people cried out and he delivered this song repeatedly calls out, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And I think some of us, when we hear that, it's, ah, it's easy to say, well, yeah, they, they, they get to sing that because all those people, God, God solved all their problems already, right? He showed up and he fixed stuff. They are redeemed who, who's already gathered together. Easy to say. And I would say, honestly, they are no different than you and me. They're no different from us. Those who wrote and sang this song, we are the same. Ask anyone who's gotten out of prison if their life has been smooth sailing since they got out. Or folks with addictions, people who ran their life into the ground or had disaster strike. Their life's been fine since then, right? No trouble, no ripple effects, no new troubles pop up for the rest of your life, right? Wrong. They continued, even after they were led to a city with, with food or had their bonds broken, they continued to live on the same busted up, broken down, cursed ground that you and I walk on today. If there's anything different, it's that we have a clearer picture of the gospel than they ever did. If there's anyone who has an advantage in being able to give thanks to God for his steadfast love and wondrous works, it's those of us who know the name of Jesus and all that he did and all that he has promised to do. Giving thanks didn't come easier to them. And despite what you might think, giving thanks doesn't come easier to people who've had a, a more trouble-free life than you. Giving thanks simply comes from knowing the giver and all that he has given, which is all the good that we have ever gotten, most important of which was himself. That's where Thanksgiving comes from, and that's what Christmas is all about. Charlie Brown. That God has freed you to give thanks in every circumstance, not for every circumstance. Don't give thanks for the curse, right? You get to hate the curse, right? But you can give thanks in every circumstance precisely because Jesus was born into the same troubled world. He walked the same cursed ground, cried out with the same sweat and desperation to the same father for help and deliverance. And even though the curse killed him, it only kept him dead for three days. He is the greatest guide who 
makes his home with us. Three things to send you out with. The first one is this, that God is our greatest guide who makes his home with us. No matter what corner of the world you live in, there is no place that you can go. There is no road uh, or trouble that, that you can go down, right, that God can't walk you right out of even if it kills you, literally. God is guiding us home where the curse, every single last bit of it is reversed. And that begins, that begins right here. The reversal begins right here. You might have to wait for most of the curse to start getting reversed out there, but not here. He begins by reversing the curse in your heart bit by bit. God in Christ, he makes it new and he makes it his home. Right through every trouble, with every cry, the spirit has made you his home. Jesus came and was born as a baby. He's now up there and he sent the spirit to live in us and to make his home in us. He is remodeling the universe and you are where the project begins. You are his place for now until it's all his place, all of creation. And he is your person. Three of them, father, son, spirit, forever. Right? He's not just the biggest thing in the room or in the universe. He is the biggest thing in here. He also does work out there though. And that's the second thing is that, that he builds us a temporary home. This is your place. This is your place for now. And it's not perfect. It's not the new creation, but the local church is made up of new creations, right? The, the Israelites pitch tents in the wilderness. We plant churches in basements and we gather in living rooms. God has given you a place and a people, a temporary home that can remind us of our present hope and our future home, which is the third thing. He promises to get us to our full and final home. And that's it. That is where the gospel takes us. He takes us home to a promised future with a perfect home, a place filled with the presence of the Lord and his people. God simply won't stop until he guides us through places of distress, all of them, every single one, to a home that is forever blessed. The gospel frees us to sing this song, Psalm 107, and we get to sing other songs. Band, you guys can come on up. We get to sing Noel. We get to sing Joy to the World before we leave here today. We get to sing a couple more songs together, and if we let ourselves come to the truths, that we have been talking about this morning to come and see what God has done, the light of the world given for us, we can sing even if we have a heavy heart, even if we are sick, we have a rough past, or because the, the biggest thing in the room this morning isn't our trouble. The biggest thing in the room this morning is the steadfast love of the Lord that endures through it all forever. And if you can't sing that this morning, that's okay. Like if there's too much static up here and too much stuff in your brain, that is fine. Listen, <laughs> listen. That's one of the things we get to do. We get to sing to the Lord, but also for each other. And so listen to other people, other saints sing those songs. No matter where we find ourselves this morning, let's find ourselves invited home on a way that's already been made for us. And that is the invitation this morning to all of you. So you get to respond now to whatever it is that the Lord might be stirring in your heart today through this beautiful song. Uh, there's a couple ways to do that. First and foremost, um, you can take communion. So if you're a believer in here, you're a follower of Jesus, this table up here, 
points to the way that Jesus is going to lead us home. It points to uh, the, the body and the blood of Jesus. The, the bread represents the body of, of Jesus that was broken for us on the cross. The juice represents the blood of Christ that was shed for us on the cross to pay for our sins and to promise that he took the curse so that we no longer have to, right? In the end, we get to live in a home that is forever blessed. And so if you're a believer in here this morning, we invite you, reflect, repent, use those questions up on the screen, pray. You can pray with someone back there. Uh, I will be back here uh, along the wall. We would love to chat with you when you are settled with the Lord, right? And feel like you have a clean conscience, come up and rejoice in what God has done for you by partaking in communion. If you're not a believer here, then this is not for you, and yet we are for you, and Jesus is for you, and we would love to talk with you. Come chat with us. I would love to lead someone up here to take communion for the first time because they trusted in Jesus for the first time. Like I said, you're welcome to pray. You can sing with the band. I just encourage you right now, sift your heart, consider what the Spirit might be stirring in you, and then respond accordingly.